The realization was slowly dawning that everything had gone to shit. Chapter 35, page 275, The Dream Thieves. Hi, I'm Shannon. And I'm Navita. And we're We're the the Raven Raven Girls. Girls. Welcome to our Raven Cycle Podcast. Where we talk about five dysfunctional teenagers and everything going to shit. Yes. (laughs) This is episode 25, and we're covering chapters 34 to 39 of The Dream Thieves. We'll also be answering some listener questions that you sent in. Woohoo! Yeah. Disclaimers. This is an analysis podcast. We'll be discussing the Raven Cycle as a cycle. This means we are spoilerific, so you probably want to have read the books before listening. Mm-hmm. We will use pronunciations from the audiobooks and page numbers are referenced from the paperback editions. And a disclaimer from me this podcast has a teen plus rating. There will be canon levels of adult content, including mm-hmm. Ronan swearing, 300 Foxway drinking, Kavinsky lewdness, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, and hopefully no gray man violence. I don't think there is this time. No, not this time. And Shannon's being nice. So, okay. Well, let's get <laughs> let's on to get the, on the show. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'll do the announcement. People have been asking why I needed to go back home all of a sudden. And it was because my father passed away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the trip was good. Everything settled and everyone else was fine. So thanks for checking in. And yeah, I got to see a bunch of friends and it wasn't a horrible trip, right. even though it bad was for a horrible reason. Yeah, bad circumstances. <laughs> yeah, and I posted a few pictures. I took a few more, so I'm going to post those eventually. Yeah. <laughs> Alrighty. We will hop into the analysis now. Chapter 34 is a Ronin point of view chapter. Ronan takes the pig out to raise Kavinsky. He arrives on a dream high, but the encounter ends with Kavinsky harshing his zen hard. <laughs> yeah. And this is a chapter where Ronan is thieving, literally and figuratively. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the inside of the old Camaro smelled like asphalt and desire, gasoline and dreams. Mm-hmm. I know I always say it, but I still love Maggie's opening lines. Yeah, and there are a lot of good ones here. This is basically a laundry list of things that make Ronan happy. Absolutely. He was as hungry as the night, and that's so fitting. Mm -hmm. And it also reminds me of the song Hungry Like the Wolf. (laughs) Yep, okay. (laughs) Everything around them is empty and waiting, eerie and silent. So Ronan is driving around and Noah's with him. And Noah's looking pretty anxious. He checked over his shoulder for cops. Mm-hmm. Why is he nervous if he knows what happens? And like maybe in other cycles, this incident has not gone as well. Yeah, I was wondering what you meant by the other cycles not going as well, because I don't think we've covered that as a theory before. Mm. I mean, there are times when we've kind of been like, well, wouldn't Noah know what's mm. going to happen? And is that kind of what you meant by that? Yeah, basically, just kind of like this idea that this has all happened before and maybe Maybe it happens a little differently each time until they quote unquote get it right. Okay. Does that, yeah. does that make sense? It at makes all? sense. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> Ronan mentions it's been a while since he saw Noah, and Noah replies, I've been trying. I don't want to watch you die. Mm-hmm. And again, I ask, why is Noah so afraid here? Right. It really makes me think that this may have actually ended badly for Ronan in times past. Yeah, I can see that now. Mm-hmm. Ronan is musing that Kavinsky was late, as always. Time, as he liked to say, was money, and though he had plenty of both, he enjoyed the thieving nonetheless. (laughs) It's kind of a mission statement for Kay. He has plenty of money, yet he hints at the fact that thieving is how he lives his life. Absolutely. The engine was the loudest concert in the world, slowly thrashing itself to pieces under the hood. 
Personally, I hate loud engines. Uh-huh. <laughs> Cannot stand them. But the description is beautiful. It is. It's very accurate. The speedometer was numbered all the way up to 140. What's the fastest car you've ever driven? Fastest car I've ever driven? Mm-hmm. Nothing that goes fast. Oh, yeah. When I first got my Prius, my brother was like, hey, can I see your keys for a sec? And I thought he was just going to go look at the car. Mm -hmm. I hadn't had the car more than like, you know, three weeks. Mm -hmm. I'm like, where the heck did he go? Because he's gone for a while. Uh And he comes back, he tosses me the keys and he goes, gets a little bit shaky over 80. Yeah. I'm like, you idiot. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I've definitely driven Camaros, but I have Uh, no idea how fast they went. I would guess that they've gone pretty fast. Right. But the fastest car I owned topped out at 120. (laughs) I'll get Gansey, Noah threatened. I don't think you can. Ronan's probably right. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's what happened in previous times. Noah tried to get Gansey and wasn't there to help. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Noah, Ronan said tenderly, placing his palm on top of Noah's cold, seven years dead hand. You're starting to piss me off. (laughs) 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 He's so tender. (laughs) Noah. (laughs) 17 minutes after he was due, Kavinsky arrived. Very specific, and I wonder why. Yeah, probably because Ronan is bouncing in anticipation, mm. watching the clock every second ticking by. Right. <laughs> Kavinsky shows up. The white Mitsubishi's black mouth yawned. The gritty knife on the side was identical to Kavinsky's previous car. It's such a large clue. Absolutely. Kavinsky wore his white-rimmed sunglasses. I had canon that he's actually wearing the glasses that Ronan gave him. <laughs> That would be awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Ronan rolled his wrist to flip his middle finger at Kavinsky. Muscle memory. And then Ronan's heart surged. Muscle memory. (laughs) It's page 26. (laughs) Yep. I dreamt this. Ronan wanted to shout it. Well, you dreamt the keys. You will dream the entire car. Right. Ronan jerked his chin at the Mitsubishi. It was hard to believe it was real. Because it's not. (laughs) I mean, it's real, but, you Mm. know. So something I find interesting is the juxtaposition of Ronan wanting to yell about dreaming the pig when he only dreamed the keys while looking at the dream Mitsubishi and mm-hmm. dismissing it as Kavinsky just having gone out and bought another one that morning. Mm-hmm. And he does some major mental gymnastics to rationalize this theory. Mm-hmm. It was hard to imagine Kavinsky really devoting time to anything that wasn't powdered. Yeah. Ugh, coke habits. Mm -hmm. (laughs) However, again, we're seeing Ronan's perspective. And later we find out that Kavinsky actually has a lot of discipline. He's training himself as a dreamer. Mm -hmm. Kavinsky gives an I'm impressed when he sees the pig. Ronan replies with a that makes one of us. And that makes me laugh (laughs) so hard. Yeah. (laughs) Ronan sees that all of Kavinsky's crew is there. It's telling that after all the times he's called Gansey's dog, he calls them Kavinsky's pack of dogs. Right. And he also says that Kavinsky brought the whole family, which is basically what Kay said to Gansey at the Uh substance party. Several instances of mirroring there. Mm -hmm. You know me, Kavinsky said warmly. I just hate to be alone. It's very easy to take this as Kavinsky being snarky and kind of throwaway. Mm -hmm. But if you do take it as a literal statement of a suicidal boy who doesn't think that he can connect with anyone, it becomes much darker and sadder. Right. Their faces anonymous behind tinted windows. Ronan knew the cars. He'd beaten them all before. 
They are distant background characters, even to Ronan. Yeah. And here we get the only descriptions of Kavinsky's friends in the whole book. And it's all about their cars. And it's like these few sentences are literally the only canon dream pack information that the fandom has. So are you going to fuck that old lady you're in or are you just going to hold her hand? (laughs) (laughs) I know cars are often she's, but Kavinsky made it both a job at Ronin and casual misogyny. Yep, that's Kavinsky. And Mm -hmm. okay, um, I'm kind of a terrible person, but I actually think that's hilarious. I mean, it is funny. It really is. (laughs) It's bad, but also hilarious. Mm -hmm. And again, we have Noah trying to stop Ronan from doing this, telling him, Gizzy will kill you. Kind of harkens back to him telling Blue that she couldn't do anything about what Ronan was into. Yeah. This exchange is meaningful to me. You going to race with those shades on, you Bulgarian mobster jersey trash piece of shit? Kavinsky nodded slowly through the question as if he agreed. What I can never figure out is if you or Gansey is on top. Once again, Kay is insinuating that Ronan and Gansey are having a sexual relationship. And I wonder if it's because he can't seem to understand a friendship that is that close without being sexual, or he does, in actuality, feel jealous. I think it might be both. Yeah. I think he may actually have feelings for Ronan and, and he's also like, want that connection. Yeah, he's kind of sussing out, wait, okay, you guys are super close. Mm-hmm. Is it something more? Mm-hmm. Something black simmered inside Ronan, slow and ugly. His voice was cyanide and kerosene as he said, what's going to happen is I'm going to beat that car and then I'm going to get out of this car and then I'm going to beat the shit out of you. Mm-hmm. So incredibly Ronan. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Kaminsky wore a white tank and his exposed shoulder was raw and beautiful as a corpse. First, that's an eerily prescient description. Mm. Second, beautiful as a corpse? Ronan? Ew. Yeah, then again, he could not think the corpses are at all beautiful. And that's true. Kind of being like, dude, you look kind of sick. Sarcastic. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Kaminsky tells Ronan to keep dreaming. Again, mm-hmm. great foreshadowing and another small hint that Kaminsky knows at least partly what's going on with Ronan. Yeah. Oh, we find out later that he knows exactly what's going on with Ronan. Mm-hmm. The whole world was now the traffic lights above the two cars. Noah is still trying desperately to get Ronan to stop. I have a super bad feeling. It's called being dead, Ronan <laughs> replied. That's the sort of joke that's only funny if you're alive. Good thing I am. For now... <laughs> I know it's not possible, but I would love to see some of these critical scenes from Noah's point of view Mm -hmm. to know what he was thinking or what he'd been through in the other go-rounds or what exactly it was that he knew. Mm -hmm. I do really love this exchange. Their relationship is so familiar with each other. Mm -hmm. And Ronan's eyes are not on the traffic light overhead, but on the light on the opposing street. This is so true. This is what you do when you're racing. (laughs) And then this whole passage. Ronan eased his foot off the clutch, pressed down on the gas, held the car in check. The tack quivered just below the red line. The engine was alive, snarling, rattling. The sound replaced Ronan's pulse. Smoke from the rear tires crept from beneath the car and into the still open windows. So visceral. Mm-hmm. Ronan allowed himself to think of the part of himself that was a bomb. The wick burning fast and destructive, nearly gone. He really doesn't expect to be around much longer and doesn't want to be. Yeah. This also made me think of someone who's contemplating suicide. Mm -hmm. 
The cars burst from the line. It was a growl, growl, growl. And this, strangely audible, Kavinsky's primal laugh. Mm -hmm. And I can totally hear this. And primal seems the perfect description for the laugh that I imagine Kavinsky having, especially in this situation. Yeah, they both get such wild enjoyment from this. Uh Uh-huh. The streetlights flickered and flashed, measuring out life in epileptic bursts of light. Your life flashing before your eyes in a near-death experience. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And here's one of those action-oriented, short, cinematic passages we referenced in last episode. Mm -hmm. Flash, cracked asphalt. Flash, Aglenby sticker on the dashboard. Noah's widened eyes. They were bodies electric. Mm -hmm. This is probably a reference to Walt Whitman's poem, I Sing the Body Electric, Mm -hmm. which was included in his 1855 collection, Leaves of Grass. And it's not exactly recitable and not exactly ancient. (laughs) So I don't think it qualifies for ancient poetry corner, but the first four lines are, I sing the body electric, the armies of those I love engirth me and I engirth them. They will not let me off till I go with them, respond to them and discrupt them and charge them full with the charge of the soul. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, the whole poem is kind of relating humanity's bodies to their soul in a cycle, more or less. Side note, I would have thought this may have been influenced by Ray Bradbury's short story collection that took this as a title, but Maggie read Bradbury for the first time this year, (laughs) which I find really interesting. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Crouched somewhere between second and third gear, somewhere between four and 5,000 RPMs, there was pure joy. This is pretty much the only thing that gives Ronan happiness right now. Mm -hmm. Screaming along with the thousands of tiny explosions beneath the hood was a place where Ronan felt nothing but uncomplicated happiness. A dead and empty place in his heart where he needed nothing else. This is a boy who thinks he has nothing to live for. Mm -hmm. This car was Gansey's religion and Ronan found it a worthy god. Mm, Yeah. There was nothing inside Ronan. Glorious nothing. And behind that, more nothing. The zen of street racing. Yeah. Or the search for oblivion. Yeah. Drugs, drink, suicide. Ronan notices something is wrong and catches Kavinsky in his rearview mirror. The words were lost in the noise, but their meaning was visible. Teeth bared for a k, and then lips pursed, ooh, spat in a joyful curse. Even this phrase seems to put us in the moment, the wind and the noise of the engines drowning out Kavinsky's words. Mm-hmm. The Mitsubishi exploded away from the Camaro. Maggie talks about early drafts of the Dream Thieves. Timelines were always strange. The Dream Thieves used to begin with a prologue where Ronan lost the Camaro to Kavinsky in a drag race. And a lot of the outtakes involve me writing my way out of that. <laughs> Renan grabbed another gear, the only one left. The gas paddle crouched against the floor. Everything in the vehicle was shaking itself apart. The dream is collapsing, or maybe just being overwritten by Kavinsky's dream. Mm-hmm. Noah shouted, Impossible! Noah, you already know what happened! Yeah, he could more just be shouting it at Ronan because Ronan's not getting the hint. Uh-huh. <laughs> Ronan is dumbfounded, going over the numbers again and again in his head. His zen of a moment before is shattered and feeling trickling back in. Yeah, I like this line. Feeling was coming back to him like blood into a numb limb, stabbing him in fits and starts. Mm-hmm. It was the sort of fast that didn't belong to cars. It was the sort of fast that wasn't a speed, it was a distance. Like light speed. But it also makes me think of Star Wars. 
It's a ship that makes the castle run less than 12 parsecs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a haunting yet inexplicable description. Sparks rained down from the streetlights, searing tears dissipating on the pavement. I wonder if, like the surging ley line, the Evo is taking so much dream energy that it's actually ripping electricity from the streetlights. Could be. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a reality that permitted Kavinsky's car to possess that sort of performance. Vernon just could not conceive of there being another dreamer. Why would he? His dad obviously kept him completely in the dark about his abilities and isolated him from any concept of being a dreamer. Mm-hmm. The street lights flickered above them and went out. Again, Kavinsky ripping through the ley line energy. Mm-hmm. And attention is drawn to the Camaro keys, clinking metal against metal. And then he thinks, I dreamt this. Now you're done, right? Noah asks. Now you stop? You're like, question? Yeah. Yeah. It feels like a critical point. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah. And maybe this is one of the critical points where things connect and start going the way that they do to make the cycle complete. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Maybe he didn't have a chance to stop and like, Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. Yeah. But the dream was fading away. Like they all do, he thought. His joy was dissolving, plastic and acid. Kavinsky totally harshed his zen, man. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, zen? I'm like, zen? Yeah. I read the oblivion part differently, I think. And then a night horror lands on the hood of the car. Mm -hmm. Ronan's first thought was the paint. The pig was a piece of shit, but the paint was beyond reproach. Not for long. Mm -hmm. Whether or not the night horror was in a dream or in a reality, the night horror wanted the same thing, to kill Ronan. Mm Mm-hmm. Okie dokie. <sighs> chapter 35, again, a Ronin POV chapter. Ronin's worst nightmares come true as he is attacked by night horrors, causing him to wrap the pig around a telephone pole. Noah's help has defeated one night horror, but there's another. Things are looking bleak until help comes rolling in on a white horse. I mean, M- Mitsubishi. Kavinsky to the rescue? <laughs> This chapter opens with Ronan still trying to maneuver the pig with the night horror basically surfing on it. Yeah, this is the kind of stuff that I am super excited about seeing as a visual for the TV show. Uh Uh-huh. A long splinter was forming in the glass of the windshield with the point of the night horror's claw as its epicenter. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This was not the BMW. Steering was an imaginary creature. Yes, power steering is a wonderful thing. It is. And I was wondering if Ronan dreams the new pig with better power steering. (laughs) (laughs) Or power steering at all because it didn't have it. Still there, Noah reported. The Camaro shuddered, the rear fishtailing. This almost feels like another moment of anthropomorphizing the pig to me. Mm-hmm. Like the shutter is one of fear, not strain mechanics. Mm-hmm. And then a second bird creature clung to the trunk. Where did the second one come from? I thought there were only two. In the end of chapter 18, there was another one. He said it got away. Right. So there were three. Yeah. Somehow Ronan missed one? Yeah. Ronan stops at Noah. You could help. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering what Ronan expects Noah to do here. Yeah, my note was, how? Uh-huh. And then when he sees Noah getting antsy, clearly uncomfortable with whatever idea he was having, Ronan yells, Noah, man, come on. Yeah. 
there's a phrase here that I really love. After a squeal raked through the air that he can't tell is either a nail on metal or the sound of the birdman, it clawed the hair up Ronan's arms. <laughs> that alone sounds life-threatening. Mm-hmm. Noah disappears. And Ronan's looking for him, and then the windshield collapses. Mm-hmm. Then Noah yells at Ronan to break! Ronan slammed on the brakes. Ronan, oh Ronan, you have to pump the brakes on a 1973 Camaro. (laughs) No wonder he's fishtailing all over the place. The Camaro swept from side to side as it hurtled on. Source, OP learned to drive in a 1977 Camaro, a 1967 Camaro, and a 1987 Camaro. Nice. Then Ronan sees Noah and the Night Horror go flying off the car. I immediately thought of, he threw me out the window. Oh, poor Noah. Uh (laughs) The car kicked up as one of the tires ran over the bundle. Uh. (sighs) Noah's already dead. He's all right, Renan thought frantically. Still not sure what you were expecting, bro, but I suppose that that would be terrifying at any rate. (laughs) Did you just call Ronan bro? Yes. Oh, that's so funny. Why is that funny? I don't know. It's just funny. (laughs) Is it something Blue calls him? (laughs) (laughs) The smell of rubber and brake filled the car. Overheated brake pad is the worst smell. Mm -hmm. It was an accident without a collision. Yet. Mm -hmm. The road went left, but the car kept going straight. Yeah, that pretty accurately describes the feel of an accident. Mm, There was nothing gentle about this sound. It was not at all like the cars colliding at Kavinsky's substance party. This is the screaming sound of real American heavy metal. (laughs) Vernon describing the sound of the wreck as a five-finger metallic punch in Ronan's side. That feels so spot on. That clinch in your gut when you're in or even hear a car clash. Mm-hmm. And Five Finger Death Punch is the name of a crappy metal band. And also a kung fu movie trope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then it was over. Well... Yeah, no. The glove box bursting open and vomiting out Gansey's EpiPen reminds the reader that Gansey is the owner of this car. Mm. And then the realization was slowly dawning that everything had gone to shit. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> the night horror here continues to be straight out of a horror movie. Mm-hmm. The sound, the leaning over the roof, staring through the window upside down, scaly red pupiled eyes, drumming the nails on the windshield. This description reminds me of that famous scene of the dinosaur leaning over, peering in the window (gasps) of Jurassic Park. (laughs) Yes! Noah tells Ronan to do something, but he was a voice but nothing more. His energy expended. Mm -hmm. But the impact had frozen Ronan. Like when he's taking something from a dream. Mm -hmm. His ears rang. Ronan knew what he always did. It wanted him dead. In his dreams, it didn't matter, but he wasn't dreaming. Can you imagine how scary that would be? Like, your worst nightmare? These monsters that kill you over and over again in your dreams? Just, like, brought to real life? Yeah, it's terrifying. And not only that, but he's been living with this for so long, and up until just a few weeks ago, his friends had no idea. Uh Uh-huh. And then it's, what the hell, Kavinsky to the rescue. Again, right out of a horror action movie. Mm -hmm. It was a sexy, messy, stylish slide. And the car performing it was a white Mitsubishi. The car spun round so the driver's side was illuminated by the pig's headlights. Yeah. (laughs) And you mentioned the visual of a knight riding in on a white horse. And yeah, this is 
Kavinsky coming in to rescue his damsel in distress. <laughs> this is another perfectly visual scene in my brain where the music is thrumming under the shrill of the wheels in the gravel and the spray of rocks pelting across the side of the wrecked Camaro all in slow motion. Maybe even a tight shot on one of the Evo wheels and then panning out to get a wide shot of the whole scene. Uh-huh. <laughs> The night horror climbs down and hisses at the Evo. The driver's side window of the Mitsubishi slid down. Behind it was Kavinsky, his expression impossible to determine behind his white sunglasses. This is the shock moment for the audience as well. Like, what the hell? Mm-hmm. And then Kavinsky pulls a flipping phaser out from under his seat. It was a small Im- imaginary looking gun, shiny as chrome. <laughs> I totally did not picture it as a phaser at all. More like a chromed Glock 27. <laughs> and though Ronan hasn't quite caught on to Kavinsky's dreamer status, he still thinks of the gun as imaginary looking. Mm-hmm. Kavinsky fires the gun again in horror action movie style, shooting it repeatedly until splatter appears on the Camaro's windshield. Mm-hmm. If Kavinsky has a dream gun, why hasn't Ronan thought to make one? Good question. And he's so blasé. Kavinsky still leaned out the window, chrome gun hanging casually from his hand. (laughs) Renan keeps having to remind himself that he's awake because everything that had just happened felt so acutely like something he would dream. Mm-hmm. This whole thing would feel so surreal. It really would. And Ronan is gobsmacked. Try to keep up, Lynch. Both in the race and the situation, Kavinsky holds the cards and he knows the secrets. Uh-huh. Kavinsky goes to put the gun away and Renan worried that he was leaving. Kavinsky was no ally, but he was human and he was alive and he had just saved Ronan's life and that was something. Again, mm-hmm. a very horror movie trope. Mm-hmm. It's also basically how Ronan views Kavinsky encapsulated in one sentence. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, that's fucked. Kavinsky said approvingly. (laughs) We have an echo of the earlier scene. The smooth line Ronan had run his hand along only hours before was now torqued. The metal hugged around the telephone pole. One of the wheels had come free and lay in the ditch several feet away. The pig just leaves its wheels in the old place. Yeah. (laughs) I don't remember which episode it was exactly, but we've talked about the fact that the Camaro on page leaves at least two wheels behind and two wheels on page are found. Mm Mm-hmm. Even the smell in the air was a disaster. Chemicals spilling and substances melting. Call back to the substance party. Mm -hmm. Good call. Ronan starts to panic. He felt like his heart was collapsing inside him. Each wall came down individually, crushing the one before it. That line about his heart. (laughs) It feels like we're dealing with the dichotomy of Ronan. The one who steals Gansey's car and the one who's devastated about betraying Gansey. But if the accident hadn't happened, do we think Ronan would have ever admitted this? That's a good question because, like, he was so proud about having been able to do it mm-hmm. that I don't know if he could have kept his mouth shut. Right. But if he could keep his mouth shut, I think he would. Mm. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he'd break <laughs> if he would have told him eventually. So Ronan breaks down yelling that Gansey's going to kill him. Kavinsky, in an odd mix of being supportive and being an asshole, That's points a- to the night horror and says, no, that was going to kill you, man. Gansey will forgive you, man. He doesn't want to sleep alone. Oh, yeah. Another sexuality joke, Kay. You're really starting to sound desperate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ronan gets pissed at the needling and goes after Kavinsky, shoving him and starting to yell. We're seeing the shock wear off and Ronan dealing with it in the only way he knows how. Mm-hmm. 
Kaminsky keeps trying to convince Ronan that they can handle this, but Ronan just can't wrap his head around it. And then Kay, after making an ethnicity joke this time, tiny Celtic brain, <laughs> uses what is actually a pretty darned good analogy. What did your mom do when your goldfish died? She bought another one. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be fucking patient with you, Kaminsky said, because you've had a head injury. You're not listening to the words I say. Reminds me of the quote from Rush Hour. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? <laughs> oh, God. I have to say, though, I just get a a little giggle every time you have to quote the F word in one of Kavinsky's lines. (laughs) (laughs) My mommy would be so mad at me. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) It's simply incomprehensible to Ronan that Kay is actually saying what he's saying. Uh You people. And I think you people. Which people? The Irish? The Lynches? The Gangsy? All of them? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Are such drama queens. I'm going to pop the trunk and you're going to scrape that thing into it. And then we're going to take a field trip to Concept Land. Even this sounds like drug speak. It does. <laughs> Look, you're having a life-changing experience here. Get in the car before I need to get high again. <laughs> One, we've talked about the gray man having genre awareness, but Kavinsky has probably the most meta line in the whole series coming up. Mm -hmm. And two, the fact that Kay needs to get high again just says a lot about his lifestyle. Right. Drugs are his priority. And three, Kay really is saving his ass here, no question. Right. Renan had nowhere else to go. He got in the car. Yeah. That's the end of the chapter. But okay, back to that wheel we mentioned earlier in the ditch. Mm -hmm. Ronan and Kavinsky drive off, ostensibly leaving the crumpled pig on the side of the road. This makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. One, it is well established that Gansey's car is highly recognizable by every tow truck driver in Henrietta. Mm -hmm. Two, if the police see a car abandoned on the side of the road, then it's going to be put into impound. Let's take a look at Virginia law. An abandoned motor vehicle subsection 46.2-1200 can be defined as a motor vehicle, trailer, or semi-trailer that is left unattended on the shoulder of a primary highway. The county, city, or town where a vehicle is abandoned may take custody of the vehicle and sell it at a public auction or transfer it to a licensed demolisher or scrap metal processor to dispose of it based on local ordinances, subsection 46.2-1201. In the absence of a local ordinance, localities are required to use DM blah, 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 blah. I don't care about any of that. (laughs) Number three, it is also well established that Gansey is pretty well known with the local police and judges. So if the cops find a smashed orange Camaro with bullet holes in it, mm-hmm. not even going to talk about two unidentified birdmen bodies on the side of the road. Right. They're going to be calling Gansey's family because he's underage and someone's likely in the hospital. Yes. Number four. The car isn't just going to dissolve. Like, it doesn't go away. <laughs> Even though in the past we have talked about the fact that there are two wheels that go missing off the Camaro, one in this scene in the ditch and one later in the airport when they pick up Mallory, in reality, five wheels go missing on page because three wheels are still attached to the original pig that goes somewhere and we have no idea where it is. (laughs) Do you see my red string board? Yes. They don't really talk about that, do they? Never. (laughs) Never. It's never brought up again. And five. 
Can you imagine the police that go to this crime scene and the tow truck drivers that then haul the original Camaro to a junkyard somewhere and then a week later they see the car driving down the road again perfectly okay? Mm-hmm. As Ronan pointed out, the pig is incredibly distinctive and you can't just go buy another one no matter how rich you are. <laughs> the fuck, Maggie? <laughs> <laughs> And with that... Okay. (laughs) So chapter 36 is an Adam point of view chapter. Adam and Gansey are hanging out as the dinner party is winding down. The conversation turns into a huge argument where we finally see both of them admit some things that have been bugging them for a while. Mm -hmm. Adam and Gansey are in one of the upper hallways and the party is still going on. Adam thinks he was aware that he himself was drunk. At least his mouth tasted of champagne and the world seemed blunted and dark. I wonder if this is a way that Adam is preemptively excusing his behavior to himself. It could also be that Cabe's water is influencing him, but that also kind of seems like a bit of an excuse. Mm-hmm. Adam had not been drunk before. His father had done all of that for him. I constantly want to hug this kid and tell him it'll get better. Yeah, he learns that for himself by the end. <laughs> mm-hmm. They mention the lush purple Persian runner and the Queen Anne side table, and it's more hints of royalty. Mm-hmm. And from that post from Maggie's we talked about last episode about literary devices and mm-hmm. about this passage, she says, okay, the curtains aren't red, because that was one of the devices that was being used as an example, right. but the runner is purple. How noble. <laughs> it's basically exactly what you're talking about. It was on mm-hmm. purpose. Right. And there are hunt-themed knickknacks on the table, which makes me think of the hunting horn we hear at the beginning and end of the cycle. Awesome, yeah. Gold versions of Adam and Gansey stood in the crazed black mirror. This is still a world of untruths and facades. Mm-hmm. Again, Maggie's post. Man, I was working hard in this little section. In reality, the hallway of the house is lush and content and established. But inside our two protagonists, trouble brews. You can see it in the mirror. The side table on the outside of the glass is docile, but the mirror image of the tidy hallway is crazed and twisted and rakish. In the reflection, the ordinarily assured line of Gansey's mouth was twisted into something troubled. Adam seeing the truth in the mirror, like you said, Mm -hmm. he tore the knot of his tie to a rakish angle. Gansey is loosening that silken noose from before, away from the party and his family. Uh Maggie, again, I could have just told you. On the outside, the boys look foxy and orderly in suits, but on the inside, they are hot messes. Mm -hmm. But I don't want you to know. I want you to feel. And our old friends, those countless literary devices of simile, metaphor, illusion, figurative language, that's the way in. Mm-hmm. Can you believe, Gansey asked tragically, that I grew up in a place like this? Adam did not tell Gansey that he usually couldn't forget. Mm-hmm. What the heck, Gansey? Gansey's just asking to start a fight here. But I have to remind myself that Gansey has a shitty home life too, in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. And with arguably abusive parents, just in a different way than Adam's are. Mm-hmm. And there's no one he can be open with about it because they always... Yeah, put on a brave face. Mm-hmm. And the people he was with aren't going to be able to see his home life as anything but perfect. Mm-hmm. And emotional neglect can be just as impactful as, as physical abuse. 
Gansey mentions wanting to go back to Henrietta and checking if Cabeswater has reappeared. Adam's neck spasmed like a sly finger plucked at a taut, anxious ligament. Another image tried to work its way through, a blink, and he'd see a man in the corner of his eye standing behind his shoulder looking at him in the mirror. Caveswater is mentioned and it immediately grabs at Adam. Sad eyes and a bowler hat. During Adam's initiation vision with Persephone, he sees this man again. Beside her suddenly was the man with the bowler hat, the one Adam had glimpsed at the Gansey mansion. Page 354. (laughs) Why not, Adam thought angrily. Why the hell not? Why not what? Why are you angry, Adam? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Adam says he's never drinking again. Gansey says, you're not drunk being dismissive, and then look at our faces in there. This is beat one of three repetitions of look. Mm-hmm. Gansey says, we're getting older all the time. It's such a fascinating comment, given Gansey's timelessness. Right. And then he says, Adam, is this what you want? This? Gansey made an elegant and dismissive gesture toward the lower floor, pushing it all away from himself. Gansey, I think you need to take a step back and think. You're the one who talked Adam into coming. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it was so you could berate him for doing so. Yeah, I know. And Gansey can only question this because he's grown up with privilege. It's a clear example of class delineation in the Raven cycle. Right. I want to get out of Henrietta. Really, I think what Adam wants is for everything or even something to not be a struggle. And that is so valid. Mm-hmm. And in The Raven King, he thinks there was no longer the understood second half of that statement and never coming back. Mm-hmm. Chapter 42. And then Adam tells Gansey, I know you don't, as in want to get out of Henrietta. Mm-hmm. Look, it's not like I'm trying to, and he can't quite bring himself to say, leave you behind. Mm-hmm. Their outs are in two different directions. Right. And the two of them were on perpendicular paths, not parallel ones. And a tension was building in him, like the one that sometimes haunted him late at night, where he wanted to save Gansey or be Gansey. Mm-hmm. This is actually a really astute observation. Not that Adam isn't known for that already. Right. But the perpendicular paths, not parallel ones. Mm-hmm. High school friends aren't always going to be forever. Right. And even if they're as close as Adam and Gansey are in a lot of ways, this isn't untrue. Mm-hmm. I think that even in the Dreamer trilogy, we'll see some drifting apart and that Gansey will be really peripheral to that story. Yeah. The truth was a complicated thing, but... Being Adam Parrish was a complicated thing, a wonder of muscles and organs, synapses and nerves. The most important thing to Adam Parrish, though, had always been free will, the ability to be his own master. That's chapter 45 of The Raven Boys, Mm -hmm. right before he makes his oath. He's already given his autonomy to something else. He can't give it to Gansey, too. (laughs) Right. Gansey finally straight up asks Adam why he went to Caveswater without him, and Adam replies he doesn't know. I just don't believe that, Gansey said. He was starting to do the Richard Campbell Gansey third voice, the kingly voice. You don't do something without knowing why. I mean, he has a point. Adam usually doesn't. People do things without knowing why all the time. <laughs> That's, I mean, it's true. Adam says that whole deal might work on Ronan, but it doesn't work on me. And this is exactly correct. 
How Gansey leverages his friendship with Ronan is completely different in how Adam needs to be negotiated with. Right. There's a fundamental difference that Gansey just isn't clicking with. Mm-hmm. The Gansey in the mirror laughed humorously. Ronan never took my car. <laughs> Insert the Tumblr post of the burning car gif. Mm-hmm. This is classic dramatic irony. Mm-hmm. Something had to be done, or Welk would have had control of the line right now. He would be the one hearing that, the singing Latin. I did the right thing. And Gansey asks, why that night? Why? Why? <laughs> because Adam's world had just come crashing down. He was suddenly familyless and homeless. He needed to take control of something. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And then Gansey moves the goalpost. You had to walk right by me to go. It's like you're so keen on being Adam Parrish, Army of One. That's all he's had, Gansey. His whole life, he has only had himself. Mm-hmm. He was Adam Parrish, Army of One. Gansey, raised by these adoring courtiers, would never be able to understand that. And here we have Adam not understanding Gansey or realizing what Gansey has been through. Mm-hmm. Neither of them can at all see any of this from the other exactly. one's perspective. Exactly. I've defended you to Blue and Ronan for weeks now. The idea of his behavior being a topic of conversation infuriated Adam. If the others have a problem with me, they can take it up with me. I can totally see that being infuriating. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh Especially when one of those people is your girlfriend. Yeah. Communication, y'all. Yeah, this comment just ratchets the tension up even more. And some sections of the fandom get caught up on who Adam is here in this scene, and they never let him grow past this. And I believe, just like the last chapters were a turning point for Ronan, this chapter and what directly follows is a turning point for Adam. Absolutely. The point is, tell me it's not going to happen again. Gansey doesn't know what the point is here, or can't say it even now. Mm-hmm. If you wanted someone you could control, you picked the wrong person. Here is the root of Adam's problems with Gansey. And this is so tough because while this is true, here Adam's anger is not really justified. Like there's an incongruous emotional reaction. Mm -hmm. There was a pause full of the distant ringing of silverware and glasses. Someone laughed high and delighted. The fairy party is still going on. Mm Mm-hmm. Gansey just sighed, and that sigh was the final straw. Because it didn't whisper of pity, it drowned in it. Adam, you're not a mind reader. You do not know that is what is going on in his head. Mm -hmm. And it's not really, I don't Mm -hmm. think. And this is terrifying. There was no switch this time. No flip from ordinary to angry because he'd already been angry. It was already dark and now it was black. Mm. In episode 18, we talked about intermittent explosive disorder and this sounds so much like it. Adam is ratcheted up already from Caveswater's anxiety and his feeling out of place in this party. Mm -hmm. And then another beat of look. Look at you, Adam. Adam feels like Gansey is pointing out that he's an imposter. Just look. Look at what? Mm -hmm. That's right. There's Adam. What a mess. What do you reckon he was trying to say when he woke the ley line by himself? I don't know, Ronan. Let's not ask him. How about this, Gansey? It wasn't about you. I was doing what needed to be done. He does still feel justified in his actions. Mm -hmm. And he may be a little bit. Yeah, you never know. Gansey says, there were so many other ways. And Adam replies, you weren't doing them. Either you want to find this thing or you don't. And this is part of the reason why he did it. 
Adam is shouting here, and that is so out of character. This is not the you'll find I do everything quiet character. Mm-hmm. I don't think folks really realize what this scene is showing with Adam's complete breakdown. And you don't need him. I do. And there's the rest of his answer to Gansey's question earlier. Mm-hmm. Adam cannot see Gansey as needing anything because mm-hmm. what they need and what they have is so different. Mm-hmm. This is that selfishness in finding Glendower that I mentioned at uh-huh. the end of the last episode. Gansey's voice was very low. Glendower was not yours, Adam. This was mine first. And there we have Gansey's admission of what about this felt like such a betrayal. Mm. Gansey's right. There's something here though with Gansey being so very calm it's like that alone is again ratcheting Adam up that he's not getting an equally angry or loud reaction Mm -hmm. you asked us either you meant it or you didn't you did this and Adam doesn't get it. He doesn't understand why, why Gansey's so hurt. Mad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Gansey presses a finger into Adam's chest. Then Adam seized Gansey's wrist. He wasn't nice about it. No. No, 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 no. Adam, even though Gansey touched you first, this is unacceptable. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be your minion, Gansey. You want me to help me find him? You let me look my way. Still not getting it. Neither of them are. Mm-mm. Another beat of look. Gansey jerks his arm away. You should look at yourself in the mirror. Adam didn't. He doesn't want to see the apparitions. Right. We do this. We do this as equals, Adam said. You're the opposite of getting it, hun. <laughs> I know how it must feel to Adam like Gansey has everything, owns everything and everyone. And Adam is just trying so hard to exist and be his own person. But if you look at this from Gansey's POV, his best friend stole his car and went to use the knowledge Gansey had spent his whole life gathering mm-hmm. to complete, if not all of, a big chunk of the quest that is Gansey's life's work. Mm-hmm. And that's not doing things as equals. Mm -hmm. Oh, and don't forget, someone died in the process. Yeah, someone who basically wanted to do those things. Yeah. I mean, deservedness and responsibility aside, it makes sense that Gansey would still be traumatized by that experience. Mm Mm-hmm. Adam lashes out, sweeping the figurines off the table. They all plunged to the floor with the satisfying and diseased smash. It's reminiscent of the scene with the box in the carport in Chapter 14 of The Raven Boys. And this, again, is not acceptable, Adam. This isn't the time or place. Mm -hmm. Adam says that he got blue without Gansey's help, which isn't entirely true. Mm -hmm. And then, I won't take your pity. This is the trigger. This is what Adam cannot abide, even if he's misinterpreting his friend's actions. Right. Gansey goes silent. There was something very remote about his eyes or the set of his lips or the lift of his chin. The mask is sliding over Gansey's face again, but we know from the later anguished we fought that he says to Helen how much this is affecting him. Mm-hmm. And then the chapter ends with a creepy as all get out line. Next to Adam, the mirror reflected both him and the flickering form of a ghost no one but Adam could see. She was screaming, but there was no sound. Jesus, fuck, this is heavy. Uh huh. Okay. <laughs> chapter 37 is a Ronin POV chapter. Ronan and Kavinsky take a romantic drive to the fairgrounds, and Ronan's mind is blown when he finally puts together what Kay can do. <laughs> this chapter starts out, this was the dream. 
<laughs> the description in this paragraph all have very sensual, sexual language with a mm-hmm. lot of tension. The odor of a crash clinging to Ronan's clothing. Kavinsky's gaunt and wild face. Foully seductive lyrics spitting from the speakers. Vein covered peaks of Kavinsky's knuckles. <laughs> The smell in the car was sweet and unfamiliar, toxic and pleasant in the way Ronan had always thought marijuana would be before he came to Aglumby. Same. I was so disappointed the first time I smelled weed. That stuff stinks. (laughs) More sexual language. The seats held Ronan's shoulders and sucked his legs into the very depths of the car like a trap. That's a very specific fetish, Ronan. (laughs) Hey, you like what you like. Oh, no. <laughs> I, not my thing. No yucking anybody's yum. All right. Okay. <laughs> it was like a car built to both feed on and produce anxiety. Ronan didn't know if he loved it or hated it. This is basically exactly how he feels about Kavinsky. Yes. All of his secrets felt dangerously close to the surface. They are more exposed than Ronan believes. Mm -hmm. Kavinsky drives past Deering, which earlier in the book on page 122, we find out is near where Caveswater is located. Caveswater also being past Deering. Right. So this field where Kavinsky has been dreaming is actually very close to where Caveswater is manifested. Coincidence? Probably not. I think not. He watched Kavinsky change gears as he snaked along the back roads. My eyes are up here, sweetheart, Kavinsky said. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) And Ronan talking about Kavinsky missing the sweet spot. Sadly, Kavinsky has no idea where the sweet spot is. (laughs) I find it so telling that Ronan's palms sweated. Uh Uh-huh. And so in the Substance Party episode, I was confused because I was thinking that the field of Mitsubishis couldn't be where the Substance Party was held. However, here it seems like it's basically just on the other side of a dirt road. I'm not at all sure how we could have possibly hid this from a hundred people showing up. I mean, maybe he did all of them at once after the party? I don't know. Anyway, a few yards in, Kavinsky stopped. He looked at Ronan. I know what you are. Here's that weirdly prescient dream foreshadowing. Mm -hmm. Word for word what Kavinsky said before swallowing Ronan whole. Yeah. It was like after the crash, after waking from a dream. Vernon was frozen in the sea, staring back at him. I love this description of being dumbfounded and at a loss for words. Mm-hmm, just the shock. Vernon mm-hmm. suddenly sees in the headlights another white Mitsubishi parked up ahead, and then another and another, parked at least two deep. More than a hundred of them. Did he dream all these at once? We learn later that he practiced over and over and waited for his dream place to get more juice, uh-huh. then pulled another car out. I would guess this is probably months of training himself to get it right. Right. It's hard to remember now, but the first time reading through this, the reader would have the same slow dawning realization. Right. This is the seismic shift in the second act. Mm -hmm. This is the plot twist. Mm -hmm. This is the Noah was dead all along moment. Right. (laughs) I feel like you have to admit that Kavinsky has been pretty damn clever. Right. He's actually been surprisingly subtle and yet still told Ronan absolutely everything that he needed to know. Yep. Just like Noah did in the first book. Uh Uh-huh. 
And I do love the very slow reveal of this. Kavinsky pulled forward another few feet. It brought a third car into focus, a white Mitsubishi. They kept creeping forward, field grass rustling against the low bumper. Another Mitsubishi. Another. Another. Goldfish, Kavinsky said. It wouldn't be the same. No wonder Kavinsky laughed when the judge threatened to crush his Evo. Mm-hmm. Ronan at first thinks the cars are identical, but the longer he looks, the more differences he sees. Feels like one of those find five differences puzzle you see in kids' activity books. Yeah. One of the cars has a splattered dragon graphic, which I find to be of note. Mm-hmm. Finally, we see Ronan put everything together. He finally realizes that Kavinsky has dreamed all the stuff he's known for. The drugs, the fireworks, the forgeries, including the licenses and bracelets he gave to Ronan. The hints he literally dropped in front of Ronan's face. Mm -hmm. He was a Grey Warren. Well, we find out later that's not the case. Mm -hmm. Because the Dream Thieves, page 415, many thieves won Grey Warren. But it is cool to see Ronan's reaction to seeing another dreamer. Exactly. It's like Highlander. There can be only one. (laughs) Every thought was a shard of light, gone before he could hold it. Mind blown. Yeah, his whole world has just been turned topsy-turvy. And Ronan has been hit with revelation after revelation in just a few days. And his whole identity is crumbling around him. Mm -hmm. He had never thought to try for more than the Camaro's keys. He'd never thought there was anyone outside himself and his father. I genuinely wonder if Niall knew that there was another dreamer in Henrietta. If both he and Kay were active in the black market in some way. Mm -hmm. No, world. Kavinsky said, an entire world. Mm -hmm. And here is what I mentioned at the end of the substance party where we circle back to dream me the world, as Gansey says. Mm -hmm. But Ronan can't even conceive of dreaming the world until Kavinsky shows him how it can be done. Right. Chapter 38 is a Gansey POV chapter. Gansey's having a rough night. Too torn up and anxious about the fight with Adam to sleep, he calls Blue for a bedtime story. No, for real. Yeah. Gansey crept down the back staircase, avoiding his family. Where has he been hiding this whole time? There will be no sleep for him tonight. Yeah, I've had nights like that. You can't fix the problem, but you aren't going to be able to stop thinking about it long enough to sleep, so you may as well stay up. Yeah. Gansey goes out to the garden. The only flowers he could see were white and drowsy. His soul felt raw and battered inside him. This is Gansey, the true Gansey. None of this night has been in his POV before now, so the reader, as we said, has not been privy to his interiority. But here it is. Mm-hmm. He hates me. No, he doesn't. But Mm -hmm. damn, y'all kids need to learn to communicate. (laughs) Yeah, they will. Maybe eventually. Probably not. (laughs) Humans are terrible sometimes. (laughs) My heart aches for him and his feelings are so familiar. Mm -hmm. He was stretched too thin to consider what was wise or what was not. Mm -hmm. He called Blue, shaking my head. Yeah. You think your best friend hates you, so you're going to call his girlfriend in the middle of the night? Yeah, that's going to help. He knows it isn't wise. At least there's that. He pressed his eyes closed. Just the sound of her voice, the Henrietta lull to it, made him feel uneven and shattered. I think that hearing her is just giving him permission to feel what he's been feeling for hours. Mm -hmm. He says that she makes him quiet later, Mm -hmm. and this is the first time we really see that. Right. Blue seems only mildly confused as to why Gansey is calling, and she asks if his thing is over, to which Gansey replies, for now. I guess we've seen Gansey call Blue before on the phone, but this conversation would definitely feel different. Uh I don't understand why Blue later gets angry at Adam for not inviting her to this party when 
and she has Gansy on the phone right now. Right. Blue then, and I have no idea why I'm so amused by this, gives a play-by-play of grabbing some yogurt from the fridge before asking Gansy what he needs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the dialogue feels so real. Like, how often do you see someone actually giving distracted ums and uhs in book dialogue? Uh-huh. Maggie has said that she reads every bit of dialogue out loud to make sure that it sounds real. And Cadence Kismet on Tumblr asks the question, how do you make your dialogue sound like real people talking while still managing to avoid bogging down the plot. Maggie responded, in my first draft, I write terrible on the nose dialogue. Characters say exactly what they're thinking, and the purpose of the conversation is incredibly clear. So instead, I begin with what I need from the conversation, and when I circle back around on the next round of edits, I used observed speech patterns to fragment and color it. I often write down interesting or specific turns of the phrase when I hear them, and I always read my dialogue out loud in the final rounds. Blue asks Gansey what he needs, and in contrast to Adam, Gansey understands where she's coming from. Uh-huh. What do you want, Gansey? What do you need, Gansey? Mm-hmm. Adam's thoughts from earlier, Blue was like Gansey in that she wanted him to explain himself. What do you want, Adam? What do you need, Adam? Page mm-hmm. 58 in The Dream Thieves. What Gansey decides he needs is for Blue to give him a play-by-play of what everyone at Foxway is doing. She makes him quiet. Her voice calms his racing thoughts. Mm-hmm. As an aside, there's a weird quirky interaction with an insect that made me think of a bee, especially since the passage says that it buzzed by his ear. Uh-huh. Blue does so, gives him the play-by-play, mm-hmm. and it works as a sort of bedtime story for him, leaving him somewhere between sleepy and smitten. I mean, you probably shouldn't do this with your best friend's girlfriend, but I can see the appeal. I have my partner reading bedtime stories all the time. Yeah, I love that so much. Mm. That's why I listen to audiobooks all the time now. <laughs> and then at the end, she says, like that, she asked finally. Yes, said Gansey. Thanks. And it's starting. It's starting. Mm -hmm. I kind of see this chapter as the first, like, real start to their relationship. Right. Okay. Last chapter. Chapter 39 is a gray man POV. The gray man is giddy in love and cheerily goes through his day of breaking into houses and beating up priests. (laughs) At the end, though, he believes that he is on the trail of the gray warren. Mm -hmm. So after the ache of the last chapter, we get the ache of this one. Uh And for a time frame, this chapter seems to actually span Saturday and Sunday. Mm hmm. Something strange and chemical was happening to the gray man. True. That is the actual and literal scientific definition of love. (laughs) And again, Maggie knocks it out of the park with this opener. Mm -hmm. Once he'd been stabbed with a screwdriver, Phillips head, bright blue handle. I can't help but laugh at the specificity. Yeah, me too. That's why I left it in there. (laughs) And falling in love with Mara Sargent was exactly the same. Love hurts. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He says he was watching the last night when he was stitching up his wound, which I had gotten confused with the first night, which was a horrid Arthurian movie with Sean Connery as Arthur and Richard Gere as Lancelot. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's so bad. It sounds like it would be so good. No, it's so bad. Oh, we could make it our next movie night. Oh, I don't no. know. <laughs> In another year and a half, which was the last time I used my DVD player before today. <laughs> 
It had gotten terrible only when the wound had begun to close, when he'd begun to regrow skin where it had been chewed away. I identify with the gray man more and more with every passing day. (laughs) Now the ragged hole in his heart was regrowing out of the scar tissue, and he couldn't stop feeling it. Take another little piece of my heart now, baby. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm, I'm, the song. Just I know. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. <laughs> okay, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> and he calls the rental car the Champagne Program. Okay, this was not cool. Okay. <laughs> I mean, he's a hitman, but he's not committing genocide. True. He is <laughs> accusing the car of committing genocide. <laughs> The nicknames for the car are just getting more and more hyperbolic. I personally found this hilarious for that reason, not because of what it is. Mm -hmm. But yes, it's not a great word. (laughs) The bank of meters grinned and winked and chirruped at him. The bills ruffled fondly against his hand. Everything in his life is being anthropomorphically nice to him. And to be honest, that is a bit of what being in love feels like. Mm Mm-hmm. And now we see that he's thinking about his love life while out at work. I don't know why I'm surprised by this, since just a couple of episodes ago, he was flirting on the phone like a teenager while breaking and entering. Mm -hmm. The front door isn't even locked on Kavinsky's vinyl mansion. Taken with the description of Mrs. Kavinsky's aftermarket parts, everything about Kay's life feels plastic and fake. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like you said, his first stop is Kavinsky's. He found a house full of wonders, none of them the Grey Warren. Mrs. Kavinsky lifted her cheeks slowly from the toilet, lashes fluttering blearily, nostrils snotty. I'm a figment of your imagination, he told her. She nodded. Yeah. And this just makes me laugh. Yeah. I mean, it's both sad, but also funny. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my reaction to this is mostly opposite. I mean, you know, the funny part is funny, but Mm -hmm. my feeling is, oh, God, this is Kay's home life. Yeah, it's no wonder that the kid is so messed up. He later admits that his mom is strung out and even that he drugs her sometimes. And I wonder how much Mrs. Kavinsky actually knows about her son. Mm -hmm. If we're to assume that dreaming is genetic... Is she possibly a dreamer? Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. She readily accepts the gray man's explanation that he's a figment of her imagination. And could she be a dream? <laughs> or <laughs> has she had to live with weird stuff happening around her if Kavinsky's father is a dreamer? Not to mention a young son, which, as we've seen with Ronan, means that weird stuff happens. Right. And how much of her drug abuse is a coping mechanism? It's a good question. It's really sad. It is incredibly sad. Yeah. Funny. Again. Right. It's very easy to dismiss these things because they are funny. Mm-hmm. But there's that other part. Next stop is Ronan's BMW. He checks the van and finds it's only eight digits long and that those digits are Niall Lynch's birthday. May I remind everyone that those digits are 08091970? <laughs> as talked about in episode 16. <laughs> I don't know why, but I didn't think that BMW would have been a dream thing. Mm-hmm. And like, had Ronan never had to have anything done to the car that required a VIN? Don't they take the VIN when you get your tags and stickers renewed? Mm, yeah. <laughs> I suppose Niall took care of all that. Mm -hmm. Still, though, it's not a yearly thing here, but it is in Virginia. Mm -hmm. Also, hey, wait, Vins are 17 digits long. Kavinsky showed up 17 minutes late in a dream car. (laughs) Okay. Kind of a stretch. 
much, but we've made, I, I we've made worse. <laughs> we've made worse stretches. The hamburger <laughs> thing might be a worse stretch, but <laughs> this is what I was leaning into. And we were talking about with the forged documents in the last episode. Mm-hmm. Ronan quite possibly has been driving a dreamed car all along. And if you can accept that the BMW has been dreamed, why not have a set of tags that automatically changes every year? Right. It's not like Ronan as a 17-year-old is going to question it. Very (laughs) good point. I adore the fact that the gray man is senselessly delighted by this. He's in love, and that makes everything better. Uh (laughs) Even Green Mantle calls and chews him out. Do I need to come there myself? He will eventually, yeah. Final stop is St. Agnes. He asked the priest inside if the Lynch brothers had ever confessed anything of note. This is not a bad thought, actually. If the priest wasn't quite as upstanding as he seems to be, he could very well have heard and then told quite a bit about the Lynches. <laughs> this is true. Mm-hmm. But it's like, that's the thing the priest isn't supposed to do. Well, yeah, and he doesn't. Right. But if he, yeah. Exactly. The priest made a variety of shocked noises as the gray man dragged him across the small laminate counter of the kitchenette and the round breakfast table and through the automatic cat feeder provided for the use of the two rectory cats, Joan and Dimphna. Again, I just adore how specific the descriptions are. And the long run-on sentence really gives it a sense of everything happening extremely quickly all at once with no pauses. Mm -hmm. And okay, the cat names. Mm -hmm. I have to talk about this for a sec. Yeah. Joan is, of course, named for Joan of Arc, mm-hmm. patron saint of France, but also of soldiers, and who started her mission to drive the English from France after having a vision. Mm-hmm. Second, Dimphna. She's an Irish saint and is the patron saint of those suffering nervous and mental afflictions. Hmm. Dimphna was born in Ireland sometime in the 7th century to a pagan father and a devout Christian mother. When she was 14, she consecrated herself to Christ and took a vow of chastity. Soon after, her mother died and her father, who had loved his wife deeply, began to suffer a rapid deterioration of his mental stability. Mm. So unhinged with Diffna's father, Damon, that the king's counselors suggested he remarry. Though he's still grieving for his wife, he agreed to remarry if a woman as beautiful as she could be found. Yeah. Damon sent messengers throughout his town and other lands to find women of noble birth who resembled his wife and would be willing to marry him, but when them could be found, his evil advisors would build sinful suggestions to marry his own daughter. Mm-hmm. So twisted were Damon's thoughts that he recognized only his wife when he looked upon Dimphna, and so he consented to the arrangement. She fled to Belgium, but her father found and killed her when she refused to return with him and marry him. Yeah, that's similar to Deerskin. There's uh, fairy tales that are mm-hmm. like that. I just thought it was interesting that, that they picked those two saints yeah. to name the cats after. I knew that Dimphna was, I thought it was something from mythology, actually. I didn't make the saint connection, mm-hmm. but I did not even think about Joan of Arc. So there you go. <laughs> You're a very sick man, the priest told the gray man. I can find you help. I think, the gray man said, lowering the priest onto a case of new missiles. I've found some. Wow, dude. <laughs> Love is completely changing his outlook on life. <laughs> he felt it when every single machine in the champagne blight illuminated like a Christmas tree, flashing and wailing and surging for all that they were worth. Yes, yes, that is exactly what it feels like. <laughs> Everything is coming to life for him, clamoring for his attention. Mm-hmm. And we get the first little bit of repetition. The lights flared, the meters surged, the alerts screamed. This was not a test. The gray man felt it even now in the inevitability of the treasure hunt. Mm-hmm. This was not a test. He was finding the gray warren today. He could feel it. Mm-hmm. And I wonder 
wonder a little bit about the uncanniness of the gray man. It seems very much like Gansey finding things, this intuitive knowing. Yeah, it really does. Okay. <laughs> so NBC. NBC. I know, I know who mine is. I know who mine is. That's one, two, three, on three. Okay. One, two, three. Kaminsky. <laughs> I knew it had to be the same person. <laughs> I knew it had to be the same. Oh, yes. <laughs> I was like, let's just say it together. Because yeah. I know. <laughs> There's literally no way it could be anyone else. He's so good. Oh, so good. <laughs> That was awesome. Yay, Kavinsky. <laughs> All right. See, very simple. <laughs> okay, right. we will go into the questions now. So, yeah, time for listener questions that you guys sent in. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right. Anonymous said, and these were, I think, all from Tumblr. Okay. Loved the new episode. Of course, I can't remember when it was sent in. <laughs> Over the series, whose development do you like the most? Lovely work. Keep at it, Alex. First off, thank you so much. Yeah. I'm glad you're enjoying it. And that's a good question mm-hmm. and a really hard one because yeah. all the characters come so far by the end of Raven King. And I love how Blue finds her something more and stops being constrained by her prophecy. Mm-hmm. And I am as excited to get to Blue Lily Lily Blue as Navita was to get to Dream Thieves. Uh-huh. <laughs> I love the growth and healing we see in Ronin, especially in the Dream Thieves. Mm-hmm. I love how Gansey grows into a leader and works to acknowledge his privilege. Mm-hmm. I think, though, that the character whose arc I love most is Adam. Mm-hmm. Because he grows so much from this scared, abused, angry kid we see in the Raven Boys. And he takes the bargain he made with Cavewater and runs with it. Mm-hmm. And he gains in power and maturity and focus. And it's so endearing and validating to see that happen. Yeah. And to see it expressed in things like his relationship with Ronan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, 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 Adam. <laughs> I think his story is not even just an arc. Because there's so many ups and downs and ups and downs mm-hmm. until... Finally, it ends in a really hopeful place. And especially if you take it even before the Raven Boys, this is the guy who saw a rich kid in a grocery store and used his pain and humiliation to make himself a better person. Right. Not a lot of people will do that. He's constantly fighting with what it means to be Adam Parrish and who he actually is as a person. I respect that. That's something that should be questioned, I think. And he goes down a fairly dark path, or at least that's the potential for him. We've talked about how he could be villain-coded in Mm -hmm. the first couple of books. So just seeing him come from that to a place where he's comfortable in his own skin, he's able to face his parents, he's going off to school, he's confident and self-sufficient, but yet still accepting of love. And, you know, that's all that you would want for your friend, right? right? Okay. Second question. Mm-hmm. Anonymous said, have you guys already discussed in a previous episode both of Gansey's deaths and his resurrections and how all that works? If so, could you direct me to the episodes? If not, are you going to discuss this in the future? Also, has the whole three blues with bloody hands thing been brought up yet? I doubt it since you're still on the dream themes, but just in case. 
Sorry, I'm new, and I just discovered this podcast. I'm loving it so far. That's awesome. Thank you. We briefly touched on Gansey's cycles and resurrections. It's mostly in regards to Noah's story and the Raven Boys and Gansey's general feelings of agelessness. I feel like it's something that really will start to come into play with the Raven King, because I really do feel like that's the story where Gansey is coming to terms with his own mortality. Right. And what does that mean for him in his quest for Glendower, right? Right. I do have my pretty solid theories on how the cycles work and why it happened the way it did. Mm -hmm. I feel like I had a minor advantage because of the way that I discovered the books, Mm -hmm. because I read them all in a very short span of time after they were all out. So there was no waiting, (laughs) no forgetting of plot points between books. And then I literally immediately started The Raven Boys again after I finished The Raven King. (laughs) So it was all really fresh in my mind when I was Mm. going through the series the second time. Right. And for the three blues, I briefly mentioned the three blues in the last episode because of the chorus singing Make Way for the Raven King. Mm -hmm. But I don't think we'll get too much farther into that until we get to TRK. Right. So yeah, first off, welcome. And uh, as Navita said, really glad that you're enjoying the show. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Second, again, like Navita said, we haven't really gone in depth about the details of Gansey's Dustin introductions that'll come in mm-hmm. in later books. Mainly because there aren't a whole lot of specifics given this early on. Or yeah. really at all, really. It's, it's kind of all inferred. Mm-hmm. It's not really clear exactly how it works. Mm-hmm. I've read the series, I think, like three times now, and mm-hmm. I still have questions. Mm-hmm. My gut feeling, like I mentioned a little earlier in this episode is that somehow through a combination of the magic of the ley line and the magic of Caveswater, some kind of time loop was created mm-hmm. where like variations of the events in the cycle happen again and again until the version we see in the books where the characters finally quote unquote get it right. Okay. That's just the way I, I right. see it like right now. Mm-hmm. And that's why we see anomalies like the 500 year old Camaro wheel mm-hmm. and moments like the thing we were talking about earlier during the drag race between Ronan and Kavinsky with Noah who you would think would know what was going on not right. seeming to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we will discuss this further later on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you said, the three blues is something else we'll get to later on. All yeah. right. Thank you. <laughs> Next question. Send help because IDK <laughs> said... Hey, just found your podcast and wanted to say that I love it so much and appreciate how much effort you all put into it. Bless Henry's sweater. (laughs) (laughs) My question, how would you describe the feeling you get from the book series? Uh, Thank you so much. And bless Henry's sweater indeed. (laughs) And hmm, what feeling do I get from the Raven Cycle? Excitement? Mm. It's a page turner, but the suspense is not so much that I've had to turn to the end of the book and find out and read the last few lines, Mm -hmm. which happens to me sometimes because I'm just like, (laughs) you spoil yourself. Oh, 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 Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, otherwise, I'm just going to be like on edge and I rush through it. Ah. And in this one, I could enjoy the ride. In fact, my favorite thing about the series is how much I get out of rereads. Mm -hmm. Each time I catch something new, find some kind of other little like side thing. Right. And also, it's a lot of my favorite genres all rolled into one. Mm -hmm. It's like, I love paranormal stuff. I love fairy tales, like magic stuff. And I love young adult stuff. Right. And plus, it's set at Appalachia. So it's kind of like, yes. Well, and that was part of me selling it to you, too. Uh It's just like, Shannon, this will have everything you love (laughs) and hitmen. (laughs) But yeah, that's pretty much... Mm -hmm. 
For me, I think this is a great question because just the feeling of it, mm-hmm. it's hard to pin down unless you actually sit down and think about it. And I don't want to go too cheesy, but it really is kind of that longing for something more. Yeah. It made me wish that magic was real and that there were things out there that I could still discover with my friends. And that was probably the biggest thing for me. It also gives me this feeling of nostalgia because I'm older. Mm -hmm. And I've been really incredibly lucky in my life because I've had really close circles of friends at various times. And I've lived in some really magical places. Mm -hmm. And it makes me think that if the world was just slightly different than this one, that I might have gone on adventures like these. Right. Last one's mine. Ampelette said to Raven Girls, Hello, love, love, love the podcast. It's made my commute so much more bearable. For the questions for the next podcast, I'd love for you to talk a bit about your hopes for the Ronin cycle and also how you would classify the Gangzi in D&D if you haven't already. <laughs> also, I've just found the ideal Gangzi face cast. Extinction Rebellion activist Robin Boardman Pattison. Cool. Thank you so mm-hmm. much. Yeah. For the Ronin trilogy, my wants haven't changed a whole lot from episode zero, where we originally talked about what we'd like from the Ronin trilogy. Mm -hmm. I think, though, that we now have more things confirmed that I'm super excited about, because I'm really interested in seeing the world of the Dreamers expanded on and sort of maybe some questions answered on what the origin of the magic is. Mm -hmm. And it also looks like there will be even more cool female characters, which is exciting, especially women of color. And I'm looking Looking forward to seeing how Maggie handles that representation. Yeah. I'm still desperately hoping that some of the trilogy takes place in Ireland. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like the roots of the Lynch family being explored would be super cool. That would be cool. And of course, I still want Adam to ride a motorcycle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we did talk about the D&D character classes in the mailbag episode, but a confession from me, I hate making characters and statting out characters and looking at character classes. I am one of those players that will have a character concept that I see fits into the world or the story, and I will do anything I can to find a class that fits the concept but like Mm -hmm. have someone else stat everything (laughs) kind of give me advice so i personally don't care about going through the billions of books for character concepts but we talked about it in the mailbag episode and i gave a different system that would be fun to use Mm -hmm. for the raven cycle okay so thank you so so much so glad we can help with the commute. Mm-hmm. Before I get into other stuff, I will say that I looked up Robin Boardman Pattison, and yeah, I can totally see. Mm-hmm. I can totally see him as Gansey. Yeah, I meant to watch some videos, but I didn't. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah sorry. <laughs> yeah, but he had some mm-hmm. videos where he had been on news shows or something mm-hmm. of that nature. So, but very cool. Right. I just wanted to say I am so looking forward to Call Down the Hawk. I really am. Mm -hmm. There's so much potential in Ronan's ability that there just wasn't enough space to develop in the Raven Cycle. Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to seeing the new Caveswater. Again, it's my wants haven't changed a lot since since we talked about it in episode zero. Looking forward to seeing the new Caveswater. Looking forward to see Ronan and Adam's relationship grow. I'm looking forward to seeing more Opal. Uh Uh-huh. I also have to find out more about the other dreamers and more about how dreaming works and what makes Ronan special, like what a Grey Warren really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good <sighs> one. Mm-hmm. And like you mentioned, we did talk about the Gangsia's D&D classes in the mailbag episode, so you can check that out if you want to hear that. Mm-hmm. But I can do another look at it if you if you don't mind. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
last time I went more for matching what we actually see the characters do. Uh-huh. And this time I looked more at, like, the flavor of their magic. And I was thinking of that Adam could be a Circle of the Lands druid. Hmm. They draw power from a specific terrain, which they choose when you make the character. Mm-hmm. So, like, they choose a forest, which mm-hmm. means that he could choose caves water. I don't remember where it was. I'll try and look it up. I saw someone say that a fey packed sorcerer. Yeah, that's another thing. Or uh, sort no warlock. Sorry, fey packed. Uh, I think maybe warlock. that's what we said last time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was us. We thought of it. <laughs> um, and Marion could be a great old one packed. Pact of the Chain Warlock hmm. because his connection with the Dreaming and the Dreaming worlds feel very old ones because the forces he deals with are kind of unknowable and like mm-hmm. and Chain Warlocks get a familiar so there's Chainsaw. Mm-hmm. Blue could be an Oath of the Ancients Paladin because that would give her spells like Plant Growth and Tree Stride mm-hmm. and that would show her nature side and she would have things like Bless that mesh well with her affinity for ghosts and spirits and Noah. Mm-hmm. Gansey could be a Battlemaster Fighter He'd have things like Commander Strike and Distracting Strike and Rally. And Commander Strike would let him tell an ally to attack. Mm-hmm. Distracting Strike gives allies advantage on attacks against a target. And Rally gives allies uh, temporary hit points. I still think Gansey should be a bard. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what we had him last time. <laughs> oh, I've always said Paladin, but come on, bard would be great. <laughs> Noah, with his knowledge of what's going on in the cycle, could be a divination wizard. Mm-hmm. And the gray man is easy. He's an assassin. There's a class for that. Mm-hmm. Kavinsky's powers are hard to map the same ways that Ronan's are. But he could be an arcane trickster rogue. He fights dirty and he uses magic to trick and manipulate. Mm-hmm. And then I also thought about Declan. Mm-hmm. If we we're going to set him up as a PC, he'd probably just be a fighter or a rogue, since he doesn't really have any specific magic. Mm-hmm. But there's also the noble NPC stat block that would work well for him. And back in third, it would have worked even better, since they get a decent attack bonus progression, and like, you know, he is good at fighting. Mm-hmm. And a decent amount of skill points, he's really competent. Mm-hmm. And extra starting gold. Gotcha. <laughs> Okay. (laughs) All righty. Oh, and there was one more question, but it was directed at a tag that I had put on a post. Oh, okay. Alchemical words said to Raven Girls, I need to know what thoughts and feelings were cut from the Substance Party episode for the sake of time and flow. Tell us everything. (laughs) I will not tell you all of my thoughts about the Substance Party that didn't make it in. There would be another... Another whole other episode. Because I'm I'm hoping to get them in in later episodes where I can fit stuff in. Mm-hmm. Plus, I genuinely do think that Shannon would have killed me by strangulation with her bare hands if I had had any more notes on that chapter. Oh my god, that one was so long. <laughs> that was such a long episode. No, it was a short episode, actually. <laughs> okay, maybe it just felt long. <laughs> it was a short episode. <laughs> Oh. Right, that's right, because we were going to talk about masculinity, mm-hmm. and yeah. we're just like, if we do that, then, we it, would then be, it would be mm-hmm. way too long. I still want to do that at some point. Yeah, and like, yeah. we do. Okay, as a supporter shout-out this time, I'm just going to say thank you guys for sending in questions. That yeah. was really awesome. We love this type of stuff. We will do our best to actually get these answers up on Tumblr so that hopefully the folks who have asked them get to see them in mm-hmm. print. And feel free always and ever to send things our way. Absolutely. Okay. <sighs> and I don't really have a Maggie watch this time. I mean, okay. I do have things that are going on with Maggie. 
<laughs> Maggie retweeted us. That was awesome. <laughs> but that is less of a Maggie watch and more of a I almost crapped myself. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> But obviously, everything is like incrementally moving forward. And as she has often been saying, there's not a lot she can talk about. Right. And with that, I think we'll wrap up. Yeah. Thanks for joining us today. Our next episode will cover chapters 40 to 43 of The Dream Themes with a deep dive on the story of Hoel and some related mythology on that. However, our recording schedule is several weeks ahead of the release schedule, which is probably not true at the moment. Right. So follow us online for announcements of what chapters we'll be covering next. And again, send us your thoughts. We'd love to interact with you. You can find us practically everywhere on social media at Raven Girls, R-A-V-I-N-G-I-R-L-S, on Twitter at Raven Girls, on Tumblr at ravengirls.tumblr.com, Facebook at facebook.com slash ravengirls, and reach us directly at ravengirls at gmail.com. And you can reach me at substanceparty.tumblr.com or via Gmail at substanceparty with all of the A's taken out, S-U-B-S-T-N-C-E-P-R-T-Y at gmail.com. If we have referenced a post or article in the podcast, we will do our very best to include source links to those in the show notes. The Raven Cycle and all affiliate properties are copyright Maggie Stiebotter and Scholastic Incorporated. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and until next time, whoop whoop Raven Raven Girls! girls. (laughs) (laughs) Nerd. Yep, I am. But inside are two protagonists, Trouble Blues. Trouble Blues? Oh yeah. Yeah, that's you. (laughs) 100 percent trouble blues <laughs> that's gotta be the outtake <laughs> it's just freudian slip <laughs> let me get back to where i was <laughs> okay